Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, uh, for what is now our second video yep. podcast. Which is, um, I have to remember that we're recording this week, a video. Yeah. Because I did look, uh, Went I, back and I watched, watched, and I'm a little jumpy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, how many cups of coffee do you have in the morning? Well, it's not, it's, I'm wiggly. So, so I've told this story off camera, but like, it was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old when my Thanksgiving, my dad's like, you know what your problem is, son? You're too darn jumpy. <laughs> I was like, and in one sentence, like, oh, he's kind of right. I'm kind of jumpy. But here I am at 52 years old, and I don't think there's enough Adderall in the world. But thankfully, that, they didn't have that when I was a kid because they'd have probably medicated me out of my mind. Yeah, when if, I was we, a kid. if we would have gone back and looked, like, if you haven't watched it, take, take a minute and go back and watch. Um, if you did like a time lapse of the hour down to like 10 minutes or five minutes, the amount of movement that you would have, you would have been like a blur. <laughs> And then, like, I'm kind of hurts my feelings. I'm sitting here, like, (laughs) stoic, like a statue. (laughs) It's like uh, I remember sitting in a um, counseling session with my wife because you know I'm I'm a great husband. Uh, And the the counselor is like, "What are you thinking right now?" Oh man, terrible question. Right? I was like, "You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about I don't want to be wiggling (laughs) because if I'm wiggling, you're going to think that I'm hiding something." And, and I'm not hiding anything, but that's all I'm literally thinking is to sit still, sit still, sit still. Wow. And she said, what if you didn't have to sit still? What if you could just let that be who you were? And I was like, almost cried. It was like, cause you know, you just needed to hear how that. many times did the, you know, Mrs. Schlaman, the fifth grade, uh, handwriting teacher who, who also used to hit my wrist because I would, uh, I was left-handed ish. Oh no. But she was German Schlaman, right? So she came right out of like Auschwitz into my fifth grade class. <laughs> did, that, did that come up in counseling too? Uh, no, you know what? I probably should. I probably should do some work around that because she would. Because um, in Nebraska in those days, like I was literally the only left-handed kid. It was like having like we had a diabetic kid and we had a, a left-handed kid. Those are the two, you know. And I, I sometimes I wish I had diabetes because he at least got apples and stuff. Oh my word. But, uh, yeah, so she would, um, which is why I can't write in cursive with my left hand, because that was the year we learned, which is apparently is perfectly fine, because I, I they yeah, don't When do would that. you use that, actually? Oh, uh, yeah. These Signing days. my name, I guess, is the only rule. <laughs> but, yeah, if I, but she, you know, at one point she's like, well, you just have to pick a hand. And I forget which hand I picked. Uh, but oh, yeah, she, she had like a meter stick. It wasn't a yardstick, because she's German. Uh, and, you know, would slap my wrist, and I'd have to switch my pen back in. So I would sneak it when she wasn't watching. Um, but so anyway, being jumpy and left-handed, uh, those are all things I probably need to go back to the counselor and talk about. Well, one of the things that we did talk about on Sunday, uh, as we continue our Believe series. Oh, you're about to segue this thing, aren't you? Trucking through John 19, you brought up uh, the question, you know, what does your conscience sound like? What's the voice of your conscience? <laughs> your shame voice. Right. Don't be left-handed. <laughs> Via vis of making you right. <laughs> The miss is that the inner lawyer, the inner Schlaman. Schlaman, yeah, I should have said Mrs. Schlaman. Oh man, she walked with just enough of a limp too. Oh man, anyway. scary. Well, inner lawyer. So you 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 propose two voices potentially, right? It's like this inner lawyer that you that we have our, our conscience uh, that's that speaks to us, um, right or wrong, mm-hmm. 
right and wrong, good and evil, guilt or innocent. It's this, you know, if our if our lawyer was here today in the building, which is uh, we're we're we're, in, we're actually in our lawyer's building. Yeah, he he uh, <clears throat> he shares a space with our, our this the media company that we're using here. Um, he he we would hear uh, Miles' voice probably, you know, right or wrong, and he would defend that uh, one way or the other when a situation mm-hmm. would arise. Or do we hear the inner grandma? who is more about honor and shame. You know, you don't want to disappoint grandma. Right. Nobody wants to disappoint grandma. When I was uh, third grade, my my dad was in the hospital and his mom was, she was my favorite grandma because mm. my mom's mom was like 100% uh, honor and shame. And, you know, but my dad's mom was awesome. Like she like totally free ranged us. But uh, I was sneaking quarters from my dad's stash because I was, I was, this is a terrible thing to have done. My dad is literally dying in a hospital and I'm sneaking quarters out of his uh, little milk jug <laughs> and going to the uh, to the gas station that had just gotten a Miss Pac-Man. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, buddy. It's a game changer. Oh, literally. And so I uh, uh, lied through my teeth to my grandma who apparently uh, sensed that and she had this big old white car and all, I, I just remember her uh, walking into this gas station where Ms. Pac-Man was and the look on her eye and giving me the... Mm. And she said the words, it's not that I'm angry at you. I said, oh. I'm disappointed. Brutal. And she throws my bike in the back of her car and it was the longest shame ride home. <laughs> that's, so that's when I think about inner grandma, that's the inner grandma voice. What are the people going to think? You're stealing from your dad's quarters while he's in the hospital. Shame on you. Oh, it's just brutal. Which, by the way, the reason we, we tied that into John 19 was that the cross, the gospel, the crucifixion, all that happened in that moment was to fulfill not just the letter of the law, which it did, but to fulfill the promises of what the gospel was about, which was to free us from both guilt and shame. And in in the cross, which is what we sort of dived in, dived, dove, somebody get the verbs. Um, what we dove into was the idea that the, the things that were happening that were being fulfilled weren't just like a parlor trick for God, it was literally a, here's how we, here's how I'm going to deal with your guilt. Here's how I'm going to deal with your shame. Uh, so he was, he was stripped naked, right? No bones are broken. We covered all that. Um, but the point was, the question at the beginning is, we all have some kind of a voice. And what I was really trying to get to the bottom of was um, macro, there's cultures. Right. Did I make enough sense on that? I, I felt like I got a little in the weeds on the on yeah no I want to talk shame about culture it today. versus guilt and innocence culture. Yeah, no, I thought it was really really good. You referenced a an article that came out uh, several years back. Was this uh, Christianity Today? Uh, yep, Andy Crouch. It was Crouch. 2015. Yeah, and it was this uh, before observation they, before they went woke. Oh man, Sorry. yeah, we can circle back to that. <laughs> it's a whole other different. No, it really is. No, it's worth addressing, but. It was an, an article that kind of took a deep dive into a culture of shame um, in America compared to perhaps a culture of guilt and innocence, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Um, and how different cultures attack this same idea mm-hmm. from two different perspectives. And Yeah, I mean, that was, was so this was the first, at least that I could find, the first mention of this in history was Ruth Benedict, this book that she released, but it was based upon a study. The Pentagon hired her 
uh, she's an anthropologist, a cult- cultural anthropologist. And the idea was, uh, she was trying to get to the bottom, well, the Pentagon was trying to get to the bottom of is why in the world will Japanese pilots fly uh, their planes literally into uh, to, to their death as opposed to German who were, um, it was one of the things that, that helped actually London not fall was that they could only go so far with those planes before they had to go back and refuel. Now, Japanese people, they didn't care. They literally wow. fly 258 miles out to sea to literally, they weren't trying to get home. They were kamikaze. going to die. Yeah, kamikaze. So the question was, why is, what is the difference between that culture? We have these major military machines. What is the difference between a Japanese culture and how do we defeat this enemy versus a German enemy? And she was the one that I think coined the phrase honor and shame culture. I might be wrong about that, but she basically, um, and by the way, her work is, it's been criticized and, you know, like everybody's work is. Sure. Um, but but overall, the culture of Asia in general, and, and the Middle East, I might add, and much of the culture uh, of, in which the Bible was written was an honor and, and shame culture. So it wasn't so much about right and wrong as it is about what would people think of you. You know the, uh, the the honor and the shame, and so to, uh, the kamikaze. You know, I think it's is Harry Carey. Is that how they pronounced it? Not not the the Chicago right anyway, ball guy. Uh, they would literally rather kill themselves than have to face their family uh, in failure. Um, and if, if for years, and maybe still, uh, Japan has had one of the highest suicide rates in the world because of the culture of honor and shame. And so, what I was trying to actually understand we were kind of doing it anecdotally from our church was how many in our church family when they hear their inner conscience or they hearing guilt and shame yeah. or I mean guilt and innocence like it's uh, the inner lawyer like right. litigating it or yeah. is it honor and shame which is grandma and I, I've anecdotally speaking it was like a 70 percent uh was about the inner lawyer and 30 percent was the inner uh, grandma and I think that what we're seeing in our culture which is why I was circle it all back here was that our culture is shifting from guilt and innocence to honor shame because of the internet like it's which is what Andy Crouch was saying what is that seven years ago eight years ago um that the internet has made a world right now where it is all about what people think of us uh we can't say that because we might get canceled can't say that because what would people think can't write this because shame on you and it's literally shifting. So I think the, uh, what I'd love to do a deep dive is the difference say between like, um, my people, my age and people who are in their twenties, right? Generational now. thinking. Yeah. Like I have a, uh, a suspicion anecdotally speaking, people in their maybe even forties and below, but for sure thirties and lower would have way more of an inner grandma than they would an inner lawyer speaking to them in their conscience. What do you think? Um, what do you think this would look like, uh, in Jesus day? Among the Israelites, uh, as far as their honor and shame culture, honor shame or guilt innocence. Oh, I, yeah, I think it's uh, honor and shame was oh, the Jewish culture for sure was honor shame. Wow, because um, I think of the Pharisees mm-hmm. and how litigious they were yeah. with every every law and would make new laws, you know, to support other laws that they would make up. And there's you know seven hundred laws that they're trying right. to follow, which feels like a guilt innocence thing. It does, except that when you, so shame doesn't mean there aren't rules, there aren't laws. It's just the way and the reason behind why you would obey them. There it is. Right. So the woman caught in adultery. Yep. They bring her, not because it was right or wrong, because they didn't bring the husband. They brought her. 
because uh, they were shaming her. Yeah. And the, the biggest threat of all for them wasn't even like prosecution in a legal setting. It was now I am cut off from the rest of the world now. I'm cut yeah. off. Because when you're like in, in a modern day, if you, you know, if your church doesn't like you anymore, like it, it, it sucks and hurts your feelings. But there's another church. There's another community. You know, you can find your way. Jewish culture, uh, which was like most every other culture there, was that when you're cut out from the synagogue, you're cut off from life, like financial opportunities, business opportunities, your family, your relationships, all gone, which looks exactly like most of the developing world. That's It's true in Nepal. It's true in Pakistan. Like when you choose to follow Jesus, it's not that people don't um, – just that they don't like you anymore, they won't have anything to do with you anymore because it's a shameful thing for them. It's a yeah. shame thing that you have now walked away from your family. So in Jesus's day, it was 100% an honor shame, which is one of the things I think it was crouched. It might've been someone else. But if, if our culture is shifting into honor shame, it is, it's a different culture, but the gospel speaks to it uh, perfectly. Yeah. And I would think that eventually... A bunch of people in their 20s who are excited about this idea that I can shame somebody. Because if you hear them even talking about it, you know, when they've canceled somebody, people that are doing the canceling, they're actually proud of themselves for it. Oh, yeah. Right? And until they come and they get canceled themselves. But the point is, is that you're living in that world, man, that's a horrible world. And it is a horrible way to live, uh, to, to constantly be in fear of shame. Is it safe to say then that perhaps the Roman culture was guilt, innocence driven? I'm just trying to find like a route to, you know, Eastern Europe mm -hmm. and the English in England who were very guilt innocence, which is why it was then transferred to the U.S. When, yeah. when the United States was started. And that was like the sentiment. I'm just curious if that has roots in Roman culture. That's something I don't know the answer to. Yeah. I almost want to go back and read like Tom Holland's Dominion over again yeah. and look for clues. Like where, where, where are these cultures splits yeah. amongst nations or amongst people cultures? Yeah, because the so Judeo-Christian values, which is Tom Holland's book, Dominion, basically, I think he's the one that coined the phrase that we're like fish swimming in the waters of Christianity. Whether you want to admit that Christianity has shaped our culture, you're still swimming in the waters yeah. created by Christianity, including that all humans have equal you know, value. Those are all Christian values that came right. from Christianity. So it's a, I, it might be that it came through that road that where it was guilt, innocence over honor, shame, because those were all Judeo-Christian. And when you look to the West, like British, the stiff upper lip, right? Um, the U.S., like that's our whole Western. But when you go the East or Middle East, it's it's honor, shame. I actually don't know this, but it'd be fascinating to find out like where Latin culture is. I actually, my experience with Latin culture feels like it would be guilt and, uh, or I mean, in, uh, honor and shame. Yeah. I think. Root, rooted, I mean, deeply rooted in Catholicism. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What I do know is that it, it, whether your culture, which is why it was really interesting to me, was that whether it's the culture is a, is a like a view of the the macro view of the micro, but on the micro level, on the ground level, we all have guilt and we all have shame. Right. It's just which one is the primary motivator? Motivator. In our lives. <laughs> and and both are terrible motivators. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things that. So the guilt is a terrible motivator. So that's so funny you say that. Um, my 
one of my mentors and my youth pastor growing up, he he would say this all the time. Guilt is not a motivator. He would say that. Oh, interesting. So is it I mean, often. No, no, my, okay. my, my youth pastor back in the day. What, like an independent, how do you say it? Independent, independent fundamentalist Baptist? Well, so. Said guilt is not? Yeah, because he came out of that and started oh, okay. a non-denominational so church. Pulled, okay. Yeah, it was, okay. it was the pendulum swing the other way, right? Because yeah. growing up, like when I went to church camp as a elementary school student, uh-huh. um, early, early middle school years, you know, at a church camp at a, what we call a fundy, an independent <laughs> fundamental Baptist <laughs> camp, the, when they close, you know, when they close out the teaching, um, the, the motivation to come forward to accept Christ in that moment is 100% guilt yeah. driven. If you feel guilty enough, you'll... Yeah, and it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's deep. Yeah. Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, coming out of that, um, you know, he would always say, you know, he would just remind us, man, guilt is not a motivator. I mean, yeah. this, you know, the, the transformation through Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, is a is a miracle unto itself, and it's it's through the love of Christ, right, mm-hmm. and the shame off of you, right, guilt off of you, and so yeah, I think it's just it's interesting that that certain denominations even within the Christian sect yeah. uh, have their own manipulations or motivations mm-hmm. to compel people to Christ. Yeah, well, guilt is so guilt in general. The reason it's a terrible motivator is that there are those that, and my wife is one of these, will feel guilty for things that she, when she didn't do them wrong. Like she didn't do anything wrong, but she feels guilty. You know, and, and we all know people like that, that they apologize for everything. Yeah. Because um, even if they didn't do anything wrong, they're apologizing. And on the other hand, guilt is terrible because if you demand or declare or just believe that this is is uh, is not right or wrong, whatever, just on your basic belief, then there are things that you can, and we've, we all know people have done this. They've done something terrible. They've done something wrong and they feel no guilt mm-hmm. for it because they have moved the goalpost, uh, which is uh, it's what's happening right now in Atlanta with North Point Church. Yeah, let's talk about this. Should we talk about this? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a a rumbling, and there has been a rumbling yeah. around Andy Stanley in North Point in Atlanta, Georgia, for the past, let's say, decade. To be honest, yeah, um, of 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 moving the pendulum away from what would be, you know, conservative Baptist values from his daddy's church. Um, over the past decade, which has kind of sped up over the past, let's say, three years um, to looking like something that I'm sure, I'm certain that Charles Stanley would not recognize. Yeah, he would uh, be 100% disappointed, right? And what we're talking about, I'm trying to remember the name of this conference. I'll have to pull it up here. That, um, Let me pull this up. So what? what so let's go back for a second because he... Did a series. And by the way, I don't know Andy Stanley uh, at all. I have I just I've no, I have no relationship with him. So uh, you know, praying for him. I know that Jesus loves him just as much as he loves all of us. Um, but he did a series. Uh, I think it's been two, maybe three. It's probably more than that because they actually went they went they went full COVID on. 
Well, they closed their doors for a full year. Well, closed them for a full year. And then he was on record as saying, you know, churches who are basically churches like ours. Correct. That he would, I'm ashamed of them. They should, you know, we should be ashamed that we're, you know, this. Shame. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's what we're talking about. Uh, which, you know, I got to, you know, you know me, that didn't, you know. <laughs> Doesn't sit well. Yeah, I, I did not enjoy that. I wasn't shaming him. Or what are you doing to me? Like, you know, but yeah. um, but before that, he did a series called Unhitched. And I remember that because here's, if you're looking for a sign that mm. your pastor is going to lead you down a road that you might not be comfortable with, because I've seen this with Stan Mitchell. Well, I shouldn't say any more names. Um, they always start with a series on the Bible that undermines the credibility of the Bible. There was a past Specifically the Old Testament. Um, well, they'll start with the Old Testament, which is where Stanley was, you know, it's basically the idea is unhitched. These, these ideas in the Old Testament that make you uncomfortable, we don't need them anyway, so don't let that be a, a sort of his justification. Don't let the Old Testament be a deterrent wow. to coming to Christ with no sense of the irony and hypocrisy that Jesus himself, when he quoted, <laughs> you know, hundreds of times was yeah. quoting from the Torah. Now, are there things that we need to rightly divide the word? That's what Paul said. He didn't say to throw away the word. He said, rightly divide it. Like, make sure you understand it. Stanley was saying, let's just throw it all away. And that's usually a precursor yeah. to what's coming because uh, most of these Guys, again, I don't know him personally. I know three personally who went down this road and ended up blowing their own lives up. They weren't comfortable saying it all out loud at once. And so what they were saying privately, they weren't saying publicly, but then they started inching into it publicly mm. because they, there's this, and I, mean, I don't know that, I, I wouldn't say that Andy Stanley's a narcissist. That's unfair, but there's a narcissistic tendency toward for thousands of years, this is how we understood and read and accepted globally. Right. But I have suddenly discovered something brand new that no one, everybody else has missed except me. And now it's my job to save the world with this new information I've gotten. That's, that's just narcissism. Yeah. Uh, on, on a level, I, I, the people use that word and I'm using it pretty loosely, quite honestly. So maybe it's not the right word, but there's a narcissistic vibe to that, which is that. But, but what this conference um, that they're hosting, which, by the way, on, on, on the surface, it sounds like, God, this is really great. Parents of children who are questioning or have not questioning, they've actually chosen you know, a path. The Unconditional Conference. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great on paper, right? And you're reading it. And then you start looking at some of these speakers, and one of them is this guy named Justin Lee. These guys, uh, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but two of the guys speaking are... Uh, openly gay, married uh, in a United States sense of the word, not a biblical sense of the word, um, that are hosting, they're speaking at this conference. So it's, you know, he, they're talking about it being like this middle ground, which again, all sounds great, but that's not a middle ground. That's literally saying we need to affirm. And so by moving the goalpost, saying that um, specific things aren't a sin, they've moved the goalposts to where someone doesn't have to feel guilty about it anymore. Because what they're trying to do is when you start reading into what they're saying, I want to, us, I don't want them to feel guilty. I don't want yeah. them to feel, so I'm wow. going to walk away. But the truth is, is that you and I both done work with Chip Dodge, Jeff Schulte. There is a healthy guilt and there is a healthy shame. There are things that I have done that if I did them again, I should feel guilty for that because I've hurt somebody. That's an actual good feeling to have because it can move me into a healthy thing, but to say, erase it all together, mm. um, which then takes behavior that is not healthy, 
decisions that are not going to be good for your life, making them okay. So it's not based on whether it's true or false. It's based on whether it uh, feels, it makes me feel guilty and I don't like to feel guilty. It looks like the, uh, that unhitched series um, was in 2018. So that's what, five years ago, this has kind of been in the, in the mix. Yeah. You know, he has a major platform. He's one of the largest platforms or churches in the country. Yeah, not for long. Um, but things are heating up and there's been, uh, several large articles released in the past week about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Albert Moeller wrote a great op-ed piece. Moeller seems like the kind of guy, again, don't know him at all. Feel like he probably wouldn't like me uh, much. <laughs> he kind of he kind of gives off grumpy grandpa vibes. Like yeah. which if that ball comes over the fence, he's keeping it kind of vibes. Um, but he's got an inner lawyer, and it's he. You know, his take was, and it, you know, I think is pretty accurate, which is that uh, the, the, what's happening here. Uh, I think his opening line is like the ship has already sailed. Like this yeah. ship has left the harbor. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Stanley, and he gives a, a pretty firm and uh, warning as to uh, as to what's happening. And the, and here's the thing: like we're not. I, I mean, maybe I've. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting grumpy in my old age too. But but if if I've got somebody struggling with anorexia in our church, and we're you know or bulimia, they've got like body uh, issues. The last thing I need to do to a, a young lady or young man the, who's starving themselves to death is say. Uh, go with it. That's who you are. It's just your identity. And that's what's happening clearly in the transgender movement, which I hate even using that word because there's actually, there's no such thing as transgender. Like it's an actual, the word itself is an inaccurate word. There is right two genders. Like that's it. Like, there, you know, biology, like this is a science thing. So there is no transgender. There's just body dysmorphia that is being celebrated on a, on a national scale that's causing, uh, it's, it's not causing people to become more joyful and more happy and more, it's causing more depression and more anxiety with it. So it's not helpful to encourage. Now, I, look, if you wanted to be popular in the culture, if you wanted YouTube to not take your podcast down, or like I can see, you know, why guys like Stan, you're, you're going down that road. But I don't know, when you think about it, how many times have you seen somebody go down a road like this where the road that the, the, the conclusions they end up are actually the opposite of what culture is selling us? I, I, there may be, I can't think of any, but the ones that we know, like these brand new revelations are getting actually look a lot like the culture that's being sold to us through legacy media, uh, in our own world. Uh, it, so if it looks more like that, then what's really happening is that he's got a new revelation or is that he's got a uh, legacy media revelation? I sent this to you yesterday. I don't know if you'd seen it previously, but there's a church in Texas, Cathedral of Hope in I Texas. I have not seen that. Of all, of all states, of all places, um, where there was a, an organization down there um, I'm not quite familiar with, but it's called Defend Our Kids Texas, which is the same type of group that Stanley is holding uh, at this uh, conference. So it's a affirming group. They were at this church... And had the congregants recite a pledge. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Out loud together in unison that was full of, of everything you could possibly not want it to be. 
And do you have it in front of you where you can read it? Um, I don't have I don't have it written out. I just have the video of them okay. chanting these these aff- <laughs> these affirming pledges that they would you know love their neighbor and and it's and it's being read off by and again this is in a church with a a priest that has a a rainbow um, sash um, and drag queens next to him in, in, in a church and in the 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 pastor, quote unquote, uh, you know, says, he said, love the sinner, hate the sin is an absolute contrary way of Jesus. These are, these are the, the principles that are, that are being taught in this particular church and in this community. And if you get, if you look at this video and you see this video in the, in the audience are mostly older, um, it's a mostly older crowd, like uh, generationally. How many people do you guess were there? Did they give it a good crowd shot? Um, yeah, I mean, there's several hundred. Yeah, shocking. Uh huh. It's a shocking video. Yeah the the thing that I don't know breaks my heart with that. For, I mean, first of all, to say that you can't say love the sinner, hate the sin. The, the reason that the, when I've asked a couple of people that that, have, that actually believe that and feel that way, when it comes down to it, what they're saying is that my sin is my identity. So that's why you can't love the sin. I mean, hate the sin and love the sinner is because the sinner and the sin are the same thing because it's their identity as opposed to a behavior of it. And that is a hundred percent not what Jesus, because you go back to the woman caught in adultery. He didn't say, you know, Hey, no one is here to accuse you now go and have sex with as many people as you want. He said, go and sin no more. So he loved her just the way, loves her just the way, just like me, he loves me just the way I am. And he loves me way too much to let me stay that way. If you think about this message of you are fine just the way you are, if, if, if like, do you, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was living adventurously, taking this scenic route to the kingdom, um, my will be done on earth, right? Right. If someone had told me, you're fine just the way you are, like on the surface, maybe that's what I would have wanted to hear, but on the next level down inside, that's the worst news I could have gotten. Like, this is it for me. Right. This is all I can hope for. The best I got. Yeah. Is to be an idiot. Like I, I'm breaking people's hearts, my own heart. Like, this is it for me. Like I can't be better than this. Like that's terrible news. Yeah. So it's not the, you know, the gospel isn't that I have to change to be loved, but the gospel is that I get to change because I'm loved. It's a whole different world, which most guys like this, including Stanley, when they talk about, you know, God being a God of anger and shame, they're using a caricature of, uh, mm. uh, of the gospel, which is, um, which is, you know what they're saying? Like the, the fundy the thing yeah. you came from. So yeah. they're basically rejecting a version of Christ that wasn't Christ to begin with. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I reject that as well. But I, it's like, we identify the same problem, but their solution is not the same solution. Cause it's not the gospel solution, which goes back to the cross, which my like Christ was crucified, stripped naked because he was made shame so that our shame could be removed from us. Not because our behavior wasn't shameful, but because there's no hope without that. Like there is no other way for me to have shame off of me than to know that the one I have sinned against forgives me, which I think we covered. Did I cover that? Like the the sin is not against, when I've sinned, yes, I've sinned against my wife, right? But the real sin is against God because God created my wife, right? So, you know, we've we've joked about it, but I've never, I've never been in, faithful. Like I've, you know, I've been a pretty boring husband when you think about it. (laughs) So I had a pretty low bar of what it meant to be, you know, but I've also at the same time, I've, you know, I've been 
crunchy. I've been distant. I've blocked her out over the years, like things that I, that were shameful that I can't unring the bell from that, from what I did and saying, I'm sorry, which I have and, you know, whatever it's, but making me more into Christ was actually my marriage because I got to see what the harm that my behavior caused her. But ultimately she's God's daughter. She's God's creation. So it's like, like if I, like my son, uh, so he's got him a new, he's got a, a lady friend. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and what they have, uh, he's got, he's got the same pretty much, like his game is pretty consistent. First date is this, second date, you know, we're going to go on a picnic. Well, he's got a good, <laughs> but he's made it past like four dates. So he's having to come up with new, you know, new Uh-oh. parts of his game. Yeah. And it's Legos. They what? Legos. Apparently nothing is more romantic than building a Millennium Falcon out of Legos in the bonus room. So they go to Target. Or, well, Lord, we're not going to Target. Nope. Uh, we're going somewhere and we're going to Amazon and we're buying a Millennium Falcon Lego set. Yeah. And and then we're saying, hey, come over. We're going to build this together. Yeah. Smooth move. Right? Yeah. You'll hear, you know, they have, we're like a lot of parents. They have to have the doors open. There's whatever policies. But... <laughs> But if I walked up, you know, this afternoon in the middle of their little game and to picked up the Millennium Falcon and shattered into a million pieces, am I sinning against the Millennium Falcon? Probably. But the real sin is against the creator of the Millennium Falcon, sure. which is my son and his lady friend. And so the, the forgiveness has to come from them. Good. And that's the sin. That's why David, when he killed uh, Uriah, had Uriah killed you know, his prayer was God against you and you only have I sinned. Now, of course you're thinking, well, it seems to me like you sinned against Uriah. What he's saying at the, at the core of it. Yeah. I, I harmed Uriah. I sinned against him, but the sin beneath the sin is a sin against God and his creation. Only he can forgive that. So instead of moving the finish line or moving the goalpost so that someone doesn't feel guilty because my behavior, it's, and, and you hear people say that I've heard people say this, uh, people who you know are, have a real anger problem will say something like, "Well, that's just who I am. That's just how I'm made. I'm just bold. Right. That's who I am." Like, no, you're kind of a douche. Like, can we say that? Because we <laughs> I just we just did. This is the deeper podcast, so you're you're an unpleasant person. Um, but to, just to say that's who I am and walk away from it is actually an unacceptable response because it's not who you are. Like, that's 100 percent not who you are. Making your sin your identity is. Uh, in an attempt to assuage guilt and shame is by the way, a terrible, it doesn't work. And ultimately it doesn't work because God himself still looks at me and says, Hey, these things that I, the way that I've created this world, you have violated it. And the only way that it can be forgiven is if someone takes is it's forgiveness and is about assuaging the guilt, paying the bills, building a new millennium Falcon, so to speak. And only God can do that because it's his world, his creation and my guilt and my shame, uh, ultimately terrible motivators uh, because they're not going to get me to change. But the gospel itself is what, if any, any change in my life I can attribute to is that is Jesus accepting me the way I was and giving me the power to go and sin no more. Back to Andy in this conference. I'm, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are at this point. I mean, it's been five years since he started with, with that particular uh, passage that particular um, uh, series rather yeah. unhitched. So in five years, the the pendulum has swung a, a particular direction now away, mm-hmm. and so now he's having this conference. He's very open about it. S- speakers at the conference are 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 gay and lesbian. I mean, it's 
the whole the whole gamut is going to be represented at this thing, backed by and supported by North Point. Where does it go from here? Like, what does this look like in five years? Like, what is where's where does the is there a line and will he draw one? Like, what is where does this go? Uh, <laughs> so there's two questions. One, read the Al Al Mohler article if you're looking for like a theological foundation for that question. Yeah. Practically speaking, so far, now I don't know, maybe this changes, I don't know, but I, so far, churches that have gone down this road implode or they become a shadow of their former self. There's one here in town called Grace Point Church that has maybe 100 people, maybe, but it had 2,000 when their pastor, Stan Mitchell, decided I'm going to cowboy uh, this and... But here's the thing. It, not only did they lose their building, they, and of course they would they, they view that as like we're being martyred or you know whatever view that is. But what's happening is, if this, if the word of God is no longer the foundation for this, then why do I go to church at all? Then like what, why would I be here? So what ends up happening is a bunch. The, the, for the most part, the people who stick around are so lonely, so sad, so that they, that they need a community, which we all do at some core. But That's they right. have no community, so they're there. Um, which exactly that's who Jesus wants, right? Is the, the, the outcast. Like that's for sure who he, who he reaches out to. And we could learn some lessons in, in uh, Orthodox Christianity on how to be more uh, a welcoming place. Uh, but then the next thing that happens is, I mean, you, you was the executive pastor of operations. You know that every month that the light bill has to be paid or we don't have lights, right? We don't have, like we have to, there is a financial element to this, that the gospel, you know, of, we don't give to get anything from God. But part of the gospel is I'm just letting go of everything myself. I'm giving it all back to God. And financially speaking, when you remove this as a guide for us, then people, then financially the whole thing falls apart. And that has happened over and over again. Um, I, I don't know who it is, but uh, the only reason Grace Point had survived, at least for a certain point, was there was one guy who was really wealthy who was funding the whole operation. Oh, the interesting. was... You know, I mean, think about it. Like, we, you know, we, we love everybody. I don't look at who gives what because I don't, I'm, I'm way too shallow. I'll start scheduling meetings because they're giving a lot or whatever. But, you know, you would know more than I would that, you know, if your primary audience are 20 somethings, um, it, it, I mean, they don't, they're, they're in college debt, they're student loans, they can't afford to give it all. So, practically speaking, I don't know what happens with North Point. But I know that if you remove this as a foundation, that I don't believe uh, the most fundamental, the male and female he created them, then I also don't believe that. Because think about giving your money away to a church. That's absolutely insane. You know, Williamson County is full of bass boats of people who don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in whatever. And they, you know, why would I give my money to a church if there is no under, uh, underlying value to it. And so financially they tend to fall apart. And then the other thing that I think is going to happen, we, we, there's the whole slippery slope thing. Yeah. But so when I was growing up, it was either gay or lesbian. That was kind of it. And people were still, I mean, goodness, I mean, I can remember in the early 2000s, even like Michael Scott, you know, could make a joke on the office about tranny claws, right? which they couldn't make today because he'd get canceled for that. But even 15, 20 years ago, that stuff you could still talk about. But in the, in the 80s and 90s, it was, it was gay or lesbian. And then at some point, bisexual people, well, I don't want to be left out from that. You know, the, the bisexual, I can't really choose. So I'm going to choose both just in case. Which, parenthetically, the percentage of T 
teenagers that I quote unquote identify as bisexual is somewhere near 25 to 30% right now. Oh, wow. Which is a fascinating conversation about how culture is driving this not reality. But so bisexual is like, ah, hey, we want a piece of that. And then the transgenders come along. Well, we want a piece of that. So now it's LGBT. And then suddenly the Q comes in and now eventually there's so many, we're just, we're just going to put a plus at the end. Because there's, we're running out of amount of letters that people can remember in one, you know, <laughs> in one right. sitting. So the slippery slope is literally in the LGBTQ plus. Because now we're plus, which means if you're plus, you can identify as whatever under that instead of trying to figure out the rest of these things. Because isn't there like an IA or something or somewhere? I, be somewhere? I believe so. Yeah. So at least, so in Andy Stanley's world, they've, we've, we're gonna we're cutting it off at the plus. <laughs> but the slope is is that if I can do whatever I want, be whatever I want, there is no end of letters in the alphabet that you can add to this that demand to be a part of being accepted for our behavior. And by the way, there's no S in there for straight. Um, we don't get that. So maybe, maybe that falls under the plus. I don't know. But to your original question, this is my theory, and I'd be anxious to hear what yours is too. I don't think this can sustain even for Andy Stanley. When you hear people like Stan Mitchell, um, Derek Webb, for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, they get a whole lot of attention in media, but if you look at their actual numbers, it's, I mean, like I said, Stan Mitchell has a very national platform and at best 100 people are showing up at his church on a Sunday. So it's not like there is this massive gathering it has not been able to sustain with it, which is sad because that's part of the, the enemy's attack is to then destroy the church. And the church is what Jesus said that I, my ecclesia on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And to have the ecclesia be ripped apart by, um, by adding more letters to the alphabet is, is actually really sad. Yeah, I think that's the most discouraging part of this entire thing that's happening. And I, I, I'm... I'm guessing at this point, based on even all of the the, the pushback and um, you know the commentary that's been coming out, that that North Point's not going to change their mind on oh, hosting this. Not. So, which means they're gonna they're gonna dig in, um, and that's that's kind of the scary thing because they have such a massive platform and megaphone to so many churches. And the, the, the fear is that this is going to um, persuade other churches and pastors and ministry leaders to come mm -hmm. alongside this mindset. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so, yeah, scary implication. So what do you think? Do you think that I, I'm naive? We've, I think we've established that. Like I, I think, <laughs> well, that could never happen. They'd never close down the country. They'll never make us wear masks. Like, I mean, I'm, so I've, I'm proven I'm naive. I don't think it can sustain because a guy like Andy can still talk but as the world around him crumbles into this small little thing, like, I don't know that more people, more, I don't know that a lot of people are going to follow. Let me phrase that. A lot of people, yes. Percentage wise, I don't think it'll be that high. I'm not so sure. And, and the only reason I say that is because, yeah. you know, we live in Williamson County, Tennessee. So we have, we have our, um, our, our, our bubble in a sense of, of, it's a bubble. Yeah. Of where <laughs> we, we can live. expand that. We can say Williamson County. We got to expand that uh, middle Tennessee in general. It's a bubble. Except for Nashville. It's like that bubble. But when I talk to my friends, when I talk to my, my pastor friends back in Ohio and I've got a lot of friends in ministry back in Ohio and this is front and center. Like this is a dividing line up there right now. Okay, so in, when you say dividing line, are there like I mean, meaning like we like what we stand for and what we believe and what we talk about is in the minority, 
So that's what the question. So you would, you right now in Ohio, where we would stand, that mm-hmm. it's a minority, not a majority. That's correct. And well, that sucks. Right. So that's you know, and that's and that's <laughs> that's Michigan, that's Ohio, yeah. Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania. These are the, that whole quadrant that used to be very Rust Belt, blue collar, conservative. Yeah, is not anymore. The pendulum has swung, and and that's and so not only politically. But culturally, like, and that's the, that's the crazy part of it is that those are now so intertwined. Yeah. I guess they always have been, but they are, they're just so much more inflamed now Yeah, where culture and politics are so intertwined that they're, they're, there's a major vote. Maybe it's already happened. I need to check with my, my friend back home about, uh, about, um, some sort of, uh, homosexual law <laughs> that will give them protections, um, in, in, for like government government seats or uh, there's there's something on the ballot right now in Ohio that I'm trying to understand. It's one of those think what, what protection do they not have right now? Exactly. And that's what I was trying to dive into. And it's one, it's one of those where it's worded so confusingly that it's like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to vote yes or no. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like yes means I, we no. We should ask Miles or some of the guys around here no that are experts. Yes. It feels like there's somebody <laughs> whose job it is to make ballot questions I confusing agree. enough to. It has to be a thing, right? a strategy. Because I've got it a couple going, wait a minute. What am I voting for? Like yeah. I'm actually texting and Googling. Like, wait, what is, I don't even know what this means, but yeah, and that's that, interesting. Yeah, I need to dive into that. But the point, the point is, is like what the, the, the mm-hmm. conversation, the types of conversations that we have around this would be a min, in, a, in a minority up there yeah. and over some major, some, well, what we would classify as mega churches yeah. in Ohio that would, they would align themselves with Stanley on this. That's interesting. One of the questions that I remember asking well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I should just say everybody's names. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> well, because some of these guys are my friends. I'm like, eh. But I'm, I've asked a few of my friends that went down this road. Okay, so they would say, as long as it's a, a one man and one man monogamous relationship, or one woman and one woman with the monogamous. So in other words, monogamy is the the foundation of why they think that's okay. Which, by the way, is what Justin Lee, who's speaking at this conference, would say. And my question would be where do you get that from then? Monogamy, like where's that based on? Because that's a biblical idea as well. So you're saying monogamy is is uh, is Christian, but male and female is not Christian. Like in other words, they've moved the, yeah. the line. And by the way, none of them have an answer to that um, because that's the, the thing. As long as it's, uh, <laughs> like I don't even, actually I don't know, like someone like Justin Lee, do they say that sex outside of marriage is still a sin? You have to save yourself for your, husband and husband. I don't know where they, but they would say monogamy is a, there's a lot of monogamous and there are, but there are monogamous homosexual couples that have been together for a long time. So that's what they would say. Um, but where do you get that from? Like what, what basis is that on? And so the idea that there's like some, that I'm being fundamental is, is exactly what, cause they're saying fundamental, what they're saying is a fundamentalist idea. It's just their fundamental is that it's male and male, female, female is fine, but mine is not. But I don't know. I mean, maybe you may be right because 30 to 40 years of seeker sensitive church where there wasn't a foundation in the word. Um, Chickens have come home to roost. Yeah, here we are. I had lunch with a guy from Liberia on Monday. Hmm. He oversees an organization for almost all, actually East and West Africa. Now, he used to be a professor at Trinity in Chicago. Yep. Um, 
and he is heartbroken for what he's seeing in in America. And I'm like, bro, if you can if you can spare them, we need missionaries yeah. in our country. Didn't Trinity close its doors? Yeah. yeah. Well, it closed its doors for COVID, and then re- reopened them. Uh, but then no could no longer afford to pay the bills, <laughs> and so right. have officially closed their yeah. doors forever. And they're an online campus only. So yes, let's spend twenty grand a year to, you know, get a in debt to get a degree. So I don't know a ton about Trinity. I know a couple of people that are there, and I know that they've definitely moved into a woke adjacent state, if not more. But that's part of what I'm saying. Like the example of they, these things don't seem to be able to sustain outside of truth. They they tend to fall apart. That's true. Of the, there's a mega. There was a mega church in Seattle. Um, obviously, a mega church here in Nashville. Like there's a, there's a list. There's a two in Franklin that were mega churches that the pastor. Move the the move the goalposts, and ultimately their churches imploded. So, this is a university, and I know there are others. So, we know, it's hard to say why Trinity didn't reopen, but it's also, in in one sense, not that hard because why would I want to spend twenty grand online? Um, and if you're a Christian looking for specific Christian education, I'm not going to go to Trinity for that. No. In fact, there's very few universities right now that I would even trust sending. I, I wouldn't trust my, my kids at Belmont. Spend forty thousand dollars to have them indoctrinated. Treveca has gone down that road. Really, Treveca? Oh man, dude. Here's the thing. I don't know if she's still on staff there, but one of in their counseling department was a professor who we used to send people to for counseling. And then I got a call from a mom of a twenty-four year old going, "Darren, this lady just told my daughter to. She was talking about exploring her sexuality. She's married with two children." And this counselor was uh, telling her to explore that in this room. And I, I'm assuming that she misheard. So I'm calling this counselor going, hey, what the? And she's like, well, you know, and, she, and I'm realizing, oh, no, that's exactly what she meant. And she is a professor at Treveca. And I, there are two other professors in their counseling department that I know personally who are, cra- in fact, uh, well, one of them that is adjacent to that. Remember the scene in, in What is a Woman? Uh, the the documentary where yeah. the uh, where he talks about I like scent, scented candles and I watch Sex in the City maybe I'm a woman and that that girl was like, uh, well that's 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 a great question that's the beginning of your curiosity <laughs> had no idea that he was being ironic, oh my like word. she was involved in one of those universities as well and uh, wow. in that so this this family counseling thing, um is in is in Treveca, and I, I've said this before but one of the professors at Lipscomb that uh that I know, so this is David Lipscomb University, when I was doing a, um, uh, I was the chaplain for a, an artist retreat, however long that was, and the guy that spoke right after me was, uh, his idea was that the Bible was the best that they understood at the time. In fact, his, 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 what he said was, um, if, we washed, uh, if, if we washed up on an island and we had uh, three acts of a Shakespeare play, we could write the fourth one. Because if you read all the first three, you know the heart of the author. Oh, wow. And what he's saying is that this is like, this is the first three acts of God's play. And now we're writing the fourth one. And, and I remember asking him, hey, would you debate me? Could we just, I thought it'd be hilarious. Yeah, just for fun. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> one of the first questions I have is, hey, that's also what uh, Mohammed said. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what Joseph Smith said. Like, this is not a brand new idea that we're writing the fourth act of the play. Like, mm. You just, you know, again, narcissism. Uh, he wouldn't do that. But that's from David Lipscomb University. 
So um, if someone puts together a resource that could give a, uh, a temperature on that, there'd be a huge asset for yeah, Christian no parents. Doubt. So far, I've heard, by the way, Liberty University, Samford University, like there are universities out there that are holding the line. Um, but when they come fully down like Trinity, I don't know how those others, I don't know how long they can survive. Yeah. And I guess that's what I kind of want to start to wrap up with is, you know, what do we do? So I think, <laughs> I think holding the line is a good phrase. We got to hold the line. We got to, we have to hold the line on truth in, in, in the foundation of that truth has to be obviously through the scriptures and holding that Bible, all of it, Old Testament, New Testament together as one foundation that we can build anything on. And outside of that, and there's, it starts to crack pretty quick. Shame, guilt, sin, and there's only, there's only one solution and that was through the blood of Christ. And you talked about that, the blood of Christ. It was an interesting little tidbit there at the end about the blood. The broken bones? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, look, <laughs> Jesus' death was not like something he wanted to do. It was something that he had to do, which was literally back in, I think you pointed this out, but um, in the garden, they put on fig leaves with because they were trying to cover their, their shame. And God didn't say, um, <laughs> just still run around naked. He it said the fig leaves aren't going to last. So here are here's animal skins. Something had to die to cover their shame. So in literally Genesis three, the the beginnings of the gospel, the the scarlet thread is what it's been called. Yeah, started. And by Exodus nine or twelve, the um the the Passover lamb the bones could not be broken. That was one of the things that was talked about. Do not, no bone will be broken. Wow. And on the cross, of course, when, uh, when they broke the bones of uh, the, the rebels on either side of Christ, that he was already dead, so they did not break his bones. And the, the, the point was that inside the bones is where blood is made. The marrow is where blood is made. And so the picture that even that, that so this, again, fulfilled, this would be fulfilled, um, was that the story that, that, that God was telling in the crucifixion, which is the truth, is that you, it would be the blood of an innocent man, God himself, who I've sinned against, not giving me a wink and a nod, saying, oh, boys will be boys, you know, Darren, he'll, you know, that's just how they are, saying, no, this is actually really deadly serious and so deadly serious that I'll be the one that'll be, be dead um, to do it. And so his blood is what, that's when he talks about his blood washing us, his blood paying for it. It's the idea that I owed blood to him and he paid with his own blood. So the debt is, tetelestai means it is finished, but it's a phrase that Greeks would use when a bill was paid in full, paid in full. Good. And so that's why the blood was important. And it's why the bones weren't broken because they were the only, that blood, there's a never ending supply of it is the picture that it can continue to be made to continue to pay the debts for every sin I have committed, every sin I am committing and every sin I will commit will all be paid for not by me, but by him. And that's so good. And that brings so much hope, right? I mean, that brings, <laughs> we've, we talked, we've, we've, welcome to the deeper podcast where we got pretty deep today. Yeah, we kind of dove, dove in. We got a little to well, the deep end. Yeah. Well, and to answer your question, like, what do we do? Like, we have to go back to the gospel. Yeah. Because that's it. Any like, shame stuff right now? Because eventually the, the bills come due on the promises that are made. 
And the promises made right now is you're free, be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. Being sold at the same time saying, yeah, but that triggers me. You say that word, it hurts me. Like if you're living a life where a, a word triggers you to the point where you are inconsolable, you're not free. Like at all. That's not yeah, freedom. No, not at all. So the gospel is the only answer to that. So we keep holding the line, not just with, you know, the lawyer, but with the gospel. Because that literally is it. It's like in the 70s, it was when the bills came due from the sexual revolution, which is suddenly people realizing, I feel terrible. All this free love was not free at all. And so the gospel, the, the, the Jesus movement was born out of that. I think the Jesus movement of a modern day is going to be born out of truth because the honor shame culture, the bills are coming due. And it's, I mean, you see it all the time now in people that have been a part of canceling others getting canceled themselves. Eventually, everybody's canceled Yeah. because that's what honor shame is, is that none of us are without sin. Every one of us deserves to be canceled by the standards that are being put forward. The gospel is the only hope for that. Good. It's cannibalistic. It eats itself. You know, what, aren't those called like comfort rooms or something like that at colleges? If, if you get triggered, you can go to a room and they've got like... Um, I mean, soft lighting and, and and music and people there to to talk with you and give you a hug. Like these exist on university campuses. I cannot think of anything <laughs> less that I would like to do than to go into a room and be comforted because <laughs> I've been triggered. Oh man, that just oh it makes me laugh. Hold the line, church. Hold the line. Um, we've got work to do, and uh, there's no sh- there's no shortage of work to be done yeah. in terms of uh reclaiming and restoring uh, our culture and our, our land back uh, to scripture and to the gospel. And so part of that is, is, is us doing this, doing a kind of a deep dive into um, a Bible study as we've been going through the book of John. And, you know, we've been having people ask, what's the next sermon series? And we're, we're not there yet, but I think, um, want to tell me, want me to tell you what I'm thinking? No, not yet. No, (laughs) not yet. Why not? I don't want it to get out yet. Why not? I don't know. Maybe we want the people to vote. I have two. I have two <laughs> things that I'm thinking. Okay, go for it. One options. is Genesis. Ooh, absolutely. I mean, we'll just stop with that then. Yeah, I don't even want to know the second option. Well, the other was like uh, just a deep dive on on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, can't go wrong there. Oh, uh, well, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Not that people are tired with with John. We're not tired because we're like at the pinnacle of of the yeah, story being told yeah. of Christ. Well, <laughs> crucifixion and resurrection. I'm excited because there aren't very many times in my 13 years of doing this and then the Bible study leading up to that, there haven't been that many times that I have taught John 20 that wasn't Easter Sunday. Oh, yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can find me doing John 20 for Easter, but this you might be doing it for Christmas this year. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm doing it this Sunday, man. I'm, gonna, I'm headed right into John 20 this oh, Sunday. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. Well, thanks for joining us for the Deeper Podcast. Again, if, you've, if you missed last week's uh, YouTube version. You can find it on our YouTube channel, which is what you perhaps watching right now. Maybe if you missed the teaching from Sunday, you can go back and watch that as well and go back and listen to it through wherever you listen to your podcast. We are there, Conduit Church, and all our information, conduitchurch.com. 